welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to another fun-filled week of the GNT Show. And once again, I'm joined by my co-host with the most, a man who was arrested on his way into Belmore Car Park, a noted hotspot with his manouche, G. How are you going? They don't Good. have the special Zartar in my area, so I have to breach guidelines to get the special special Zartar from Canterbury Banks there. Why are you in the hotspot, sir? Ah, uh, they don't do the minutiae's good. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's, you can see this conversation happening all throughout the southwestern corridor of Sydney. The groceries near me are not as good as the ones in Canterbury Banks down. So The sujuk is better in Auburn. Yes, it is. It's- that's right. So, all right. Listen, another. It was a quieter week, thank God. There's only about nine or ten things that happened this week, so it was it was a quieter week. I can't believe we're saying it's a quieter week when they moved the whole league up to Queensland because of COVID. And and my sense of it is they're going to play the rest of the comp there, and I think the grand final will be at Suncorp. It sounds like in Suncorp, or they're they're going to investigate a possible move to Melbourne, but I doubt it. It'll probably stay at Suncorp. Well, Melbourne looks like they're they're in lockdown as well, so yeah. so it could be that Queensland's the saviour of our sport. And the border between New South Wales and Queensland is still open, obviously because Anastasia Palaszczuk is at the Olympics in Japan. So once she gets back, I'm sure she'll shut the borders. <laughs> Why are they open this time? I'm in the Olympics. Talk to me after afterwards. Correct. Love it. So, look, we last week we mentioned that the Rugby League World Cup looked like it was going to be cancelled. It looks like it's going to go ahead now, yep. uh, potentially without Australia and the NRL players, though. I actually think this is a good thing. I think the Rugby League World Cup should go on. And whilst Australia is the biggest nation there, here's an idea. How about they pick an Australian team not based in out of Australia? Why don't they pick an Australia and New Zealand team based out of the UK? They can. It's not a bad idea. Um, I think it's great. It's going ahead regardless, and it'll be good to, to watch it. Hopefully, a lot of people get to watch it in person or either from a distance like we probably will be. So, um, But it's good. Well, to, it gives us more ahead. fodder for our pod. So it it's does. Good. What are the other things that um, caught my eye this week? Tyrone May settled his sex tape court case with a six-figure sum, according to the SMH. These things just keep happening in the NRL, and every time I keep saying, I hope it's the last one, and that I just think in the off-season we need to take stock and we need to get serious about respectful women in this game. I don't want to know what's on it, but I mean, the question I have around that is, if it's not a crime, why is there a settlement? I think, I think what they're saying is that it was distributed without her permission. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Well, far out. People... Well, it's uh, good that you're following the news. No, I didn't know that aspect of it. And I think... Um, but it's also a whole where you, you, you realise the law hasn't quite caught up to the technology and the way things happen. Oh, I, think that's the, I think that's true of a lot of things in society now. The law is a bit behind. That's a consent issue, right? You can't go forward that stuff a private communication elsewhere and it, it seems so easy digitally but it's it's a form of assault in a way so settlement figure makes sense now i didn't know the back end detail of that well the way he's playing he'd want to pay it off at the moment because um i'm not sure he's going to get a massive contract moving forward one of the big news during the week was um of course gutho was sacked as ball boy during origin because he was too loud cheering on the sidelines i don't even know what to say to that but anyway yeah <laughs> i mean really <laughs> He was, is he going he to, you know, put a few extra divots to the kicking tee so Queensland misses? I mean, well, they're plastic now. You can't even do that. Oh, mate. Honestly. You know what? Origin's ridiculous. It's like full of paranoia and ridiculous theories. It's just stupid sometimes. I mean, come on. 
He's a poor boy. What's he going to do? Deflate the balls. So apparently he was a bit too animated on the sidelines and got sacked as origin ball boy. Uh, King Gutho. Another piece of news during the week was, of course, the NRL. We mentioned it at the top of the show. The NRL relocating to Queensland, everyone, including the Melbourne Storm, that had only just relocated back home. Now, the families are not allowed to join the COVID bubble. And at first, I was really cranky with Queensland because I thought my understanding was that that was part of the deal with them relocating to Queensland. But then as I delved more into the story, the truth came to light. And the reason the families were not allowed to join the COVID bubble is because the NRL didn't submit a plan for the families to the Queensland government. So (laughs) the Queensland government's response was, we don't even know what hotels they're staying at for the families. Brilliant organisational skills, admittedly in short notice from the NRL, and it looks like they're starting off the, the Queensland bubble without their families, and that's actually affected some of the players. So some of them have stayed behind, most notably Benji Marshall, who's just had his second child, I believe it is, second or third, and he's staying behind with to be with his wife, Zoe, because he doesn't want to go up there. Can't blame them. Will Chambers did that, you know, mammoth trip from Victoria, driving all the way up to Queensland to actually be able to be eligible to play. Is Will Chambers a truck driver that was delivering furniture in Victoria <laughs> and then went on to deliver it in Adelaide? Well, I don't know, but he did the same thing that they did, without, <laughs> with the exception of knowing that he was COVID positive. But... It's tough on the families, tough on the players. I think they're sacrificing a fair bit as well um, in terms of moving up to Queensland. Keep the competition going and give us something to, to watch and cheer for during lockdown. Well, they're also going to for their own pay packets, right? Of course. I mean, there's that element too. Don't get me wrong. But they are missing their families for three three months probably or four months. Well, I think the NRL's got to work with Queensland to find a way to get the families up there. It sounds like ScoMo's, he may as well put Peter Volandis in charge of the immunisation, NRL in charge of the immunisation role there. I'll tell you what, if Peter Volandis was in charge, we'd get it done and it'd be compulsory because he'd be a standover man at every every <laughs> suburb in every, it's, it'd, be like, it'd be like, you on the street, you're getting immunised. Probably have a a team of immunizers in a truck randomly hiding around a corner. Just right yeah, out, yeah, start have immunizing people. You'd have it all. But honestly, in terms of the immunization, he probably is the type of guy you need running yeah. it. So, and Andrew yeah. Abdo behind him just cleaning up, saying, oh, he actually meant to say this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Peter, we love you. Oh, he's the best. He's the best. Astra Volandicus is the, is the new, new vaccine. Of course. So the other yeah. news that caught my... And we're getting to the big news. I'm building up to the news that um, you're going to go off about because the Bulldogs were in the news quite a bit this week. Fatty Vorton and the argument he had with the chairman of Queensland Rugby League and how they promised Billy Slater the coach coaching role of Queensland and then told him he had to apply and Billy told him to get stuffed. What did you think of that one? It does show that Queensland's in a bit of a shambles at the moment, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it's they're actually turned into New South Wales. They've turned into New South Wales. Paranoia. Gutho's deflating the balls on the sideline. He's, he's tinkering with the kicking tees. As far as I'm aware, I'm pretty sure they've handpicked people over the years, right? Where they've said, hey, we need you to coach the team. So ordinarily, I would say that's a bit harsh from Billy Slater. You should apply. But he'd be aware that they handpicked people. So I absolutely agree with him telling them to get stuff. I think it's more the fact they promised him the role and then told him he had yeah, I agree with him. Can I just say, there's a couple of people from that ex-Storm. Billy Slater's one. I think Cooper Cronk, they'd make decent coaches. Billy Slater is very insightful when he is allowed to be by Channel 9 in regards to the football. So I think he'd, he'd be a great origin coach. Um, or at least, you know, do a decent job. But you can't promise him the job and then say apply. And then also, historically, just handpick people. I mean, you had to go through a rigorous application process to become the G on the G&T show. I did. I had to um, provide my birth certificate. 
<laughs> movements. In fact, I've even been taking the vaccine and being tracked by Bill Gates. That's how that's how far I had to go to get this gig. Mate, I'm I'm fully vaccinated and my five G reception hasn't improved. Okay. okay, well, hey, I have no reception here, so any reception would be great. You know what you I'm need? Like, you need to get vaccinated. I think so. I, do I need to send Peter Volandis around to your house? All right, and the big news, of course, the biggest signing of the week was, of course, Philip Ronald Gould going back to where it all started, his coaching career, where it all started, back to Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs, because what they needed was another director of football. Gee. Yes. I mean, they did go after him. What about Phil Rothfield? What about Buzz claiming that he was him? He's the one who, if Buzz Rothfield is in at the Bulldogs, you've got bigger problems. I <laughs> hope he's not. And I hope it has nothing to do with our numbers guy either that he's in the club. So, look, they obviously think he's going to do a great job. They've gone after him. They've probably spoken to Trent Barrett as well. Well, they're close, tight. Trent Barrett and Phil Gould are tight. And you've got a few Panthers players going there, right? So We do. So they've obviously convinced him and probably given him free reign to, I would say, set up the junior junior system as well, which is something he, he does love to do, is to set up a whole system and bring players through the lower grades from when they're youngsters through to first grade. Can, so, I, can I give you my controversial opinion? Yep. I think Phil Gould coming in to fix your junior network is absolutely a, a no-brainer. Brilliant, brilliant appointment. Yeah. I think Phil Gould is a high-performance I think you'd rather use Steve Hansen from the All Blacks. Yes, I would agree with that. I th- and it'll be interesting to see how those roles sort of work together. And even if whether there's an ego clash or not. Steve Hansen was also one of the big ones on continuing the, to really, I suppose, promote the All Blacks legacy and their culture. So I think from a high performance perspective, he has a lot to add to the Bulldogs. And I think Phil Gould, it's been a long time since he coached at the highest level. But his talent development and junior nursery work is second to none. So it depends what you're getting him in for, right? Yeah, and that's that remains to be seen. I think they're trying to increase Steve Hansen's role, from what I can gather. He does talk a lot about culture when you do read snippets of information about Steve Hansen. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, like I said, how they work together and whether it creates friction or if they, they can work together really well, I think they'll transform the club and its junior development system. So I'm excited and a little bit apprehensive because they're two big guys that know what they're doing. It's years of experience. You know, you can be a bit stubborn in your views. So it'll be interesting to see how open they are to each other yep and look if you ever want to read a book about the all blacks and some of their uh, culture uh, there's a great book called legacy which is which is all about the 12 rules the all blacks live by so and my favorite one of these is have you heard this the all blacks leave dressing rooms tidier than what they found it so they'll sweep the dressing rooms make sure it's completely spotless as they leave so the all blacks are japanese well it's just little things like that that they're continuing a legacy and that they're no better than the person who's helping to i think it's quite a good thing it's quite powerful i think some of these footballers because they have sunshine blown up their asses in new south wales and queensland they lose a bit of the humility oh you do any young kid that kind of goes through that i mean you even see that really sometimes in the corporate world where they got sort of gun graduates or whatever and everything's kind of laid out it's the same thing people are constantly doing things for you I mean, you're young. It can impact your sense of humility to some degree. So I agree with you totally. Um, I think it's a great thing. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. One thing I know is we probably won't be recruiting Kane Evans. But, you know, hey. (laughs) Well, he's got to write really inappropriate messages on his wrist just to get by Kane Evans. What part of that message did he struggle to remember that he needed to write it down on his wrist? That's the bit that I don't quite get. (laughs) That's probably a take I haven't read. And it actually begs the question. There's like five words on there, Kane. 
Um, you should be able How to hard is this it. to remember, Kane? Like, you need to remind yourself. But, it's not like a phone number. But, but talk about absolute overreaction. Like, I mean... Yeah, you know, it's a, maybe he looks down on it and it, it gives him that adrenaline flow that he Are needs. you crazy? Are you crazy? You're defending this? Yeah, I am. If I he's writing if he's writing Pythagoras's theorem on his wrist, I get it. What about those three messages that oh bend them in half? Oh, I'll have to have a look at that during the game. <laughs> what I don't know about the whole complexity of the message, but I don't think it should be blown up and in him suspended or anything like that. I, I, no, I well, I think he should be suspended for stupidity. I That's... mean, if you're going to write a message on your wrist, like if you can't remember three words, what are you doing? Leviathan 325 <laughs> out of the box. <laughs> that I get. But a simple message, but overreaction in terms of, I, I guess it's vulgarity and, you know, he should be suspended. Like, I mean, come on. Idiot. Okay. <laughs> I've made my feelings known about that, but well, we've got nine games to cover. Was there anything else that you caught that caught your eye during the week in the news that we didn't cover? There's a couple of player movements, I guess, or is Anthony Milford being told to go resurrect his career in Sydney? I'm not talking about this. James Roberts probably being let go, and the Tigers conveniently finding COVID as an excuse, which I think is piss ball. And Luke Brooks being told to go shop around as well. So quite a few changes there. Yeah, well, Anthony Milford to Para. I'm not sure what we get for Anthony Milford. For Para, I don't see the benefit of that because you've got Mitchell Moses and you've got Dylan Brown. You've been growing those players. You've got Gutherson there. From a recruitment perspective, unless it's just for depth, it makes no sense. Well, just in case someone gets injured. I mean, I don't... And we're not going to sign him next year, so I don't get Anthony Milford at all. I think Luke Brooks, this was a long time coming. I think Luke Brooks needs a change of scene. And I think where can, where the Tigers are in their rebuild, Luke Brooks won't be the halfback when they next play in, in, the, fi- in the grand final. Agree with that. And I think he would be a good pickup as a, a squad player, I think, for some teams, to be honest. I, I say someone like the Dragons. I will tell you where he should go. Canberra. 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 Yeah, actually, that's not a bad Canberra idea. Canberra needs a halfback, George Williams. Manly w- could do well with a backup half. I think Luke Brooks on his day is a decent player. I just think the Tigers are wrong for him. And I think he's wrong for the Tigers now. It's just time for him to move on. Agree. But I think I think he could add something to the Raiders. And I'll tell you the other halfback playing in England that I think is absolutely NRL quality is Aiden Caesar. He's, he'd be another good backup. Even I mean, I'd leave Katoni Staggs at centre. If I'm the Bulldogs, I'd bring Aiden Caesar back. I would. Um, I don't know if he'd come back. We didn't treat him very well. But I think there's a couple of halves floating around that you could at least at a pinch if you want to have a bridge between youngsters and an experienced team that would do a great job, but also provide some depth. And teams some teams need that in the halves. Um, and also Jay Arrow had two dancers, not one. So I believe it was a Paul Pierce party. But that's it. Other than the player movements, really not much else. At the moment. Okay, great. Well, once again, you're adding value to this pod, G. So I let's am. move on to let's let's move on to round 18. Although not technically part of round 18, it was the third and final Origin. Um, again, the third game in Queensland. This one was played on the Gold Coast. It was Mitchell Moses's debut. Jack Whiten's actual debut at five eight. He played in the centres in all his Origin games. Queensland really ran at the right edge with Turbo and uh, and sent a lot of traffic his way, which tired him out. Um, Mitch Moses' kicking game was good but didn't take on the line and, and Whiten ran the ball but didn't pass and his kicking game was poor. Someone said to me, who would have thought that Jack Whiten played in origin the way he's been playing for the Raiders all year? I mean, Blind <laughs> Freddy could see... <laughs> Blind Freddy, he played exactly the same way 
he's played in club football all year. Jack Wrighton hasn't been good this year. Queensland looked heaps better with Kalen Ponga back there, a fullback, and Capewell in the second row. Um, and Ben Hunt was man of the match from Hooker. Just fantastic. So, um, the new, But the New South Wales attack for me was just wasn't fluid. It was really clunky. It was so clunky, in fact, with 10, 15 minutes to go, they moved Teddy to 5'8 and Jack White into left centre try and get um, some more attacking fluidity. That wasn't Mitchell Moses. It was his debut. There was a high expectation of him. Could he have run the ball a bit more? Sure. But, I mean, his kicking game was quite good. Queensland led 8-6 at halftime, but New South Wales looked better early in the second half when Api Corosau came on for Cook and, 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 and took a 12-8 lead 10 minutes in after White and scored. Queensland then went back-to-back, scored back-to-back tries to take a 20-12 lead and just some poor defence through the middle and on the right edge from New South Wales. And Luttrell eventually had a chance to, to tie the game with a 50, well, it was longer than 50 metres in the end, a penalty that fell just for, just just short. So Queensland won. They really did come back to the field. We said beforehand this game was going to be close. And Jared Sutton ensured that it was going to be close because he refereed this one completely differently to the way he refereed the first two. I, I thought that the teams evened out a little bit. I think the addition of a little bit more pace to Queensland's back line made a big difference. I mean, Luttrell at times would still monster some of their plays but they had the recovery speed to stop New South Wales to some degree you know and they were missing I think that fluidity in the attacking mindset with Luai and Cleary where they kind of go for the throat they play the same way that they do for the Panthers and I thought Whiten I thought he had an ordinary game and like you say I felt like New South Wales' attack was clunky and they couldn't really challenge Queensland all that well on Moses I thought Moses played very conservatively and tried to do the game management things which he he sometimes you know good kicking game field position the only time he kind of played a role I felt was when they were doing a set play I thought there wasn't as much direct attacking football by New South Wales as there was in the previous two games and Freddie alluded to that he said I want us to use our skills and actually attack the line you know they, they they felt very methodical and I thought Queensland picked them off I thought Ben Hunt was fantastic for Queensland. He gave them a lot of poise at a dummy half and a little bit of a threat out there and put them on the front foot. Players like the Hammer and Ponga, they just made Queensland more dangerous and made New South Wales have to defend their attack. Whereas I think in the first two games, really, Queensland were quite ordinary in that in that aspect. So, And I just didn't think they had the, the fluency to take advantage of any field position. They, they were easily picked off by the Maroons' defence and the added speed allowed them to slide across quickly and cover any of the danger zones. I, I guess a good win for Queensland. I thought they've tried in each game. I don't think they've ever really given up. They were just thoroughly outclassed in the first two. And now with a few more injuries and, you know, New South Wales came back to the pack a little bit. And Queensland got some of their better players back. And um, they were able to nick a victory. I think Wayne Bennett was sensible about this. If you were tr- if this was one all heading into that game, I think you pick Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds to, to, to win the game. I think... 2-0 up, you, you pick with an eye to the future, which is why Mitchell Moses and, and Jack Whiten was there, so they wanted to display a bit of yep. loyalty to him. Yeah, fair but, enough. Um, you know, I, I tend to agree with Wayne Bennett on that front, but I, but there's no doubt as a combination, I think Adam Reynolds and Jack White and uh, Adam, Adam Reynolds and Cody Walker would have been a better choice. Look, let's be honest. They, they use Origin as a reward for players and all this look to the future stuff. I think you get rewarded on form and as a halves pairing, they've been killing it. So Cody Walker's almost been the form 5-8 in the whole competition, so... He really should have been there. A good win for Queensland. They've been playing with the passion. They just haven't really had the class to take advantage of that. I think that they picked a better team. I mean, it's a faster team and a better team. Look, Ben Hunt was so much better at hooker. I mean, they lost a lot with Harry Grant. Like, they needed to play him in origin too. I thought the hammer added a lot. Yeah, defensively, he's a bit all over the place at times. He's only 19, but 
his recovery speed's important because then Trebojevic can't just run around him, you know? So, and he adds a threat. They put a lot of traffic towards Tommy Turbo, right? Because it's not like fullback, you're in the line. So they sent a lot of traffic his way and he made the tackles he did, but it, it did take a bit of juice out of, of him course. too. But he has something to think about as well, not just having Capewell, who, you know, even if he makes a break, he gets run down after five metres. So, and Latrell, mate, I don't know, but... If it's just me, but what are they eating in the New South Wales training camp? Are you really having a pop at Latrell's weight? I'm not all muscle, but the thing is... Are you any muscle? I think there's some somewhere. Mate, he ran out of puff in that game. He did run Quite a few times. So (laughs) He He is carrying a bit of food. It can be a problem. Like, he is such a dynamic player and he changes games that he seems to be running on empty a little bit. And South, I mean, South has any hope of winning the comp. He needs to be in tip-top shape. And I don't so, think South can win the comp. I don't think they can, but if they, you know, they need the best version of Latrell Mitchell possibly. I mean, he's a, he's an unbelievable player. I can only see three teams winning the comp, and I can only see us winning the comp if Melbourne, us as in Parramatta winning the comp, if Melbourne and Penrith have injuries. They'll have a COVID outbreak. Yeah, and we don't have Souths, yeah. Melbourne's unbeatable. I said that at the start of the year, and they've gotten better, so I can't believe it. Was that it. at the start of the year when you said there was only 15 teams in the comp? Well, it doesn't matter whether the Warriors are there or not, so yeah. Really? <laughs> no. We've got a guest appearance by the Panthers fan in our house. What do you think the Panthers' chances are this year, Mrs. T? She's very bullish about the Panthers' She's chances. She's just giggling with excitement. That's how that's how good the Panthers are. So let's go through the first game. Early, early kickoff on Friday, it was the Titans versus the Eels. At the Gold Coast, the Titans started well and nearly scored twice in the first 10 minutes. Then a Ryan Madison offload and a brilliant break from Dylan Brown, who outpaced AJ Brimson to score to put Para in front. I thought in the first half, Para's skill level was off the chart. They completed 19 out of 21 sets and had 15 offloads, 5 line breaks and 21 tackle busts. They were just really good. The game did change when Kevin Proctor was binned for a spear tackle. And in the 10 minutes he was off, Para had three tries, scored three tries. They had 98% possession. The Titans had one tackle during that 10 minutes. And during that 10 minutes, Para ran for 359 metres to less than 10 for the Titans. So not only were they down to 12, they didn't get the ball. So it was 20-0 at halftime, and Ryan Madison was superb. I thought it was his best game of the season. Gutho was superb as well. He got, I noticed he got all three in the Dally M. What a difference Reed Marnie made as well. We just looked so much better out of dummy half and through the middle of the field with Reed Marnie there. Ryan Madison scored a try with 10 minutes in to the second half to make it 26-0. He was also held up twice by that point. So just to show you how dominant he was. But the Titans did dominate the last 20 minutes and ran in three tries as the Eels put the cue in the rack. Great result for the Eels without Moses and Junior Paulo. Gold Coast will take something out of the second half. They won the second half 8-6. But they did pick up injuries to Fogarty, Sammy and Ash Taylor. So a costly loss for the Titans. Well, they don't have much depth in the back line, all the Haas for that matter. I thought um, the first try where they set up that sort of chip chip or kick and chase by Corey Thompson that got disallowed was magical stuff. Oh, it was great. And was then they great. had another try disallowed, and I thought that that tempered their fast start a little bit. Yeah, they were, they were the better team in the first 10 minutes. Absolutely. And once Dylan Brown scored, game over. They had two tries disallowed, and then all of a sudden, yeah, Dylan Brown scored a great solo try and actually really ran and used his pace. Yeah, he was good. He, when he plays like that without Mitchell Moses there, he looks really good. Worst haircut in the comp. He is, but that's that's because we're old and those haircuts just look silly, but we would have done the same thing back then. <laughs> like you say, once 
you know, Kevin Proctor went off and then Paris scored. Dylan Dylan Brown's try, I think, switched the momentum of the game. Then they just won two, three, four, and before you know it was twenty nil. And that just killed the game for me. I thought Para came out in the second half on a little bit down in intensity. Well, I think this is Para, right? If they think they've got the game won, they drop off a little bit. Yeah, they do drop off a little bit. But I thought the Titans really had a dig and they weren't they necessarily, did. you know, just missing tackles, not really chasing up. The effort was there. And I thought Para had to play some really good football. And that's where I think Reed Marnie made a big difference. Huge difference, huge difference. He creates attack out of their dummy half. And I thought Madison, like you say, was fantastic. Although the try he scored was like, that, that pass was forward. And I actually think, you know, having Dunster there, he's starting to settle. And also Wonga Blake, it's kind of starting to work a little bit better now. Yeah, yeah. The switch to Wong, Wonga Blake to the left edge at centre. He doesn't get as much traffic because right-handers, it's harder to pass left to right. And Hayes Dunster is a much better defensive winger than Blake Ferguson is. Well, he doesn't hit the ball up as well. But we got Mike Acevo. Yes. So you do lose something, but I think they gain on the defensive end with Hayes Dunster as well. And, and he's younger and lighter and quicker. That's right. And it makes a big difference to their footy. And I thought difference. Gutherson, as always, he's always involved. He's always there sniffing out for He's got to be close on the Dally M's. He would be, because he's basically every game I watch. He's so involved that if Para has a good game, he's always one of the best players. And yeah, a highlight for me was um, Gutho's kick to Dunster, which was a brilliant uh, piece of football. I don't think he meant it. You don't think so? I think he tried the no, He banana. was getting impact, and it just skewed off his foot. Possibly. It looked amazing. Well, it yeah, looked amazing, yeah. right? And, yeah, it um, looked amazing. And Taylor's pass to Kelly on the wing, which was just a brilliant pass to a winger in space, like 30 yards, bang, right on. Other than that, Titans, good effort, but Para a little bit too good, actually, despite switching off. Too good. Yeah, and that pains you to say, so I'm pleased about that. So let's move on. I changed my tip from Manly to the Dragons when I saw DCE got pulled out early before the game. I wish I hadn't because I would have had a perfect round otherwise. Manly took on the Dragons. Uh, Manly got up 32-18. DCE, as I mentioned, was ruled out just before kickoff and the Dragons got off to a great start with Ben Hunt and Jack Bird combining down the right to send Tyrrell Sloan away for the first try. Manly then got back in the game by targeting a, a very poor Dragons left edge of Braden Williami, um, Corey Norman and Cody Ramsey. Although I can't really put much blame on Cody Ramsey. It, all the problem was happening inside him. Williami and Norman missed seven tackles between them in the first 20 minutes. Midway through the first half, Josh, Mag- Josh Maguire scored to make it 12 all. At this point, Jack Bird was switched to the left, which shored up that side of the field for the Dragons. And Billy Burns replaced Willie Army. I think he was hooked. At halftime, it was 14-12 to the Dragons at halftime. Manly dominated after halftime, and Kieran Foran really excelled as a ball player on the right edge, with Manly running in three tries in 20 minutes after halftime to take a 30-14 lead. The Dragons only completed one out of five sets in that period, in the first 20 minutes of the second half, and only had 26 play the balls versus 115 from Manly. That's how dominant Manly were. The Dragons' attack was a bit aimless in the second half, except for one 80-metre try. Uh, Their second on the night, that was long distance, when Ben Hunt kicked for Tyrrell Sloan from a scrum and he got to the ball. Amazing take and a miracle pass to Gerald Beal. I tipped the Dragons, as I mentioned, after DC pulled out, but Josh Schuster was superb in the halves. And I probably didn't see that coming. That was the bit I thought DC would make more of a difference. But Josh, he was he was absolutely brilliant. He he had six tackle busts, two line breaks, two try assists, and drag the Dragons lost the second half, twenty to four. You know who Josh Schuster reminds me of because he's so not the shape of a typical 
half because yep. he's quite tall and big. He reminds me of when Magic Johnson first came into the NBA. You had this six foot nine, six ten point guard. You used to having John Stockton type yep. point guards yep. or Chris Paul or, or Steph Curry, and and he completely changed it because he was so big. He, you know, and and Josh Schuster's a little bit like that for me. You look at him and you go, "How this bloke's a back rower? He's not a half back, but he played really, really well in the halves. He's got all the tricks. He's an amazingly skillful player. He's just got soft hands and he's got great." awareness of time and space right so he can put plays into holes he knows when to give the pass he knows how to draw it he's just skillful and his awareness is fantastic i think eventually probably would be a ball playing sort of lock that roams around the field but i thought he was sensational and he made manly tick he gave them a threat on the fringe that the dragons defenders really struggled with because they had to try and tackle him but also he would also put his player into space so he couldn't hang off him right because he'd bust through as well I thought the Dragons, yeah, just in attack, they don't have much. I think that's where they really struggle. I thought Terrell Sloan, second game, played really well. The kid's got something. You know, he's got some speed, he's evasive, and he's got good ball skills and good hands. The kick, that was a great take and brilliant pass. He's done that in two games so far. And he left Ruben Garrick for dead with a swerve. Uh, I thought Jack DeBellin moving to prop was good for the Dragons. It sort of made them solid in the middle. But the problem was on the fringe. You know, Manly just basically tore them apart, like like you say, with Norman and Woody Army, with Awakatu, and running off Foran and Schuster, and they just tore them to shreds. I thought Foran played really well. I did too. I thought it was, yeah. Far different player, right? In a more attacking team with a bit more space. It's good to see him sort of back to, you know, probably the best form he's had in a long time. I thought he was good for you guys. He just didn't stay on the field. He was good, but the team around him and the way they played didn't suit yeah, him. Yeah, that's you know? right. So I agree with I that. I think that now with Manly's that. attacking football, he's got more space, and you're seeing it takes away some of his limitations. He's, he's a key component, but he's not the component component which is what it was i'm on the, the verge of writing saints off is that too strong i said last week i think they've snuck a few wins where i don't really think they were deserving of them they kind of somehow stumbled into the victories uh i don't know if it's harsh because some of the teams around them are also being very hot and cold so again they could sneak their way in but they're not looking very but if they, good. If they lose to the Titans this weekend, you know, I think that's a downward spiral for them. They're struggling. They're struggling to score. They don't have pace. They don't have speed. In fact, you know what? I would bring Dufty back in and play Sloan in uh, as a winger or something like that. They need. No, I don't think. I don't. Th- if Dufty's leaving next year, I know what you mean. Are you playing? But it's it's more. Do you want to make the eight or do you want to blood the young kid? You know. So, um, but I thought, yeah, Manly just tore them apart on the fringes, and Schuster was just popping balls and putting players into space or steamrolling people, and the Dragons couldn't handle it. They didn't go through the middle of the field much. Manly and too good, really. Too good. All right. Let's move on to Super Saturday, where we had two, one, two, two really good games that were in the balance for a long time with identical score lines, and then the Storm absolutely killed the Knights, but we'll get to it. First up, the Cowboys versus the Roosters. The Roosters got up 34-18. The, the Cowboys came out and blitzed the Roosters in 28-degree sunshine, and they were able to get purchased through the Roosters' right edge with Tupanua, Walker, and Ikevalu being ill-disciplined and were poor in both contact and in their reads. It really was a poor start, very unroosters like um, and Scott Drinkwater took advantage, again, from midfield, like the Storm did. So that's a real weakness for the Roosters. A lot of the tries they're conceding are from midfield between the 40-metre lines, the two 40-metre lines. And it led to tries from Javid Bowen and the Hammer. The Roosters were really on the ropes, and Tom Dearden sliced sliced them open but dropped the ball. And really that and Angus Crichton coming on a few minutes later, 20 minutes in, changed the game for the Roosters. And the Roosters targeted the Cowboys' right edge, uh, and in particular Dearden and Lemieux, 
Elu, which I always struggle with, and plus the hammer when he was in the line, he really struggled with his reads and in contact, and running in three almost identical tries before halftime through Crichton, Billy Smith, and Joey Manu to take a 14-12 lead at halftime. The Roosters came out as the better team in the second half and extended the lead through Ikevalu to 18-12. Only, only poor goal kicking from Sam Walker was keeping keeping the Cowboys in the game. But then North Queensland scored a length of the field try after the break for, from the Hammer. Uh, and he, it was a try of the year contender. A couple of tacks, a couple of tap play the balls later, finished off by Reese Robson to make it 18 all. But in the last 10 minutes, Manu and Sam Walker, it was the Manu and Sam Walker show. Uh, with Joey Manu and Sam Walker setting up three tries and, and or scoring them. One to Sam Walker himself, one to Tupanua and Ikevalu second to make it 34-18. to Reese Robson and the Hammer were fantastic and um, I thought Sam Walker and Joey Manu was, were, were best on ground for the Roosters. The Cowboys did really well. They really attacked the Roosters at the beginning and I thought Drinkwater used his elusiveness and they were using him his best attributes out of him, which is attack, you know, run at the line, step plays and he set up two great tries for the Cowboys. One to the Hammer, who, you know, to be up 12-0, I thought they're looking quite good. And the Roosters were, I guess, a little bit shell-shocked, I would say. Um, I thought the move of the hammer back to fullback was a massive plus for the Cowboys. It gave them a real threat, a constant threat in the line and the ability to really pierce the defense at any time. And once it was 12-0, I thought, hey, this is going to be a pretty close game. But T, I thought the Cowboys ran out of puff at the back end of both halves. I thought Angus, I, I, no, the first half, I think Angus Crichton made a difference. When he came on, he was the form form forward on the field, right? He upped the tempo and really stepped it up. And I think the Roosters sort of followed his lead. I agree with you there. But, you know, they let in three tries. I, I, I actually and, think he's been the best second rower in the comp too, by the way, just quietly. Angus Crichton. This year, I would say he probably has. And, you know, 12-0 and all of a sudden they go in at 16-12 down at half time. A big change and just their defense just fell away on the fringe there. The hammer sort of, you know, busting the line open and the 80-meter sprint and that turned turned the game again. And the Cowboys scored through some great football and backing up and offloading. It was a great try. It was, it was a great, great try. try through, the, through the break and then also the offloading to, to keep the ball alive to Robson to score. And at 18 all, I thought, you know, here they come again. They held on, held on, held well, the, on. Well, the game was in the balance at that point. Absolutely. And then, like you say, towards the end, it, Walker and Manu took over the game, but again in the back end of the 10 minutes. So for 30 minutes of each half, the But there's Cowboys a lot of teams really... like that, G. Canberra like that. There's a lot of teams like that that they're, they're not... The new rules have made, required them to be fitter and they're just getting out... They're just running out of gas. I agree. I think that's what it was because they held on, held on, and then the Roosters just picked them apart. You don't give Tomalolo a 10-year, $10 million contract under these rules. No, absolutely you give, not. You, give, not you give him a contract like that. And yet, correct, into the old rules where where you needed to be physical and you could it was more of a power game. Now you need more endurance. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's where they fell short. I think they gave it a red-hot go, but the Roosters just had a little bit too much in both ends of the half. And, you know, Manu and Sam Walker took advantage of every opportunity the Roosters had. I would say they were clinical when they got an opportunity. Manu's a handful. I just think what a player. And sorry, and that's it. I thought the Roosters, I thought the Roosters, you know, played um quite well. All right, let's move on to the second game of Super Saturday, which was the Raiders versus the Sharks. The Raiders got up 34-18. Canberra dominated this game, but their lackluster attack and some good counter attacks from Cronulla kept the game close. 
until the last 15 minutes when the Raiders ran in three tries to blow the score out. Um, similar to the Cowboys' Roosters, really. The Roosters only really got over them in the last 15 minutes. Um, the, Cowboy, the Sharks had 27 missed tackles in the first half and something like over 50 missed tackles for the game, including, uh, I think it was nine to Sean Johnson, who, who had a rough night in defense. The Raiders had 14 offloads. You could see that they were trying to attack through the middle and offloads um, to get their attack going, and, and the Sharks only had one. Cronulla scored two tries to one in the first half, and only Jared Croker penalties made the score 12 all at halftime. The, the Raiders' first try was also an eight-point try, which I thought was very soft. The, the team swapped tries early in the second half, and the Sharks led 18-16 with 16 minutes left to go, but the Raiders ran over them and got a deserved win. I thought the Raiders were a better team on the night. Corey, Hadawira Naira, and Hudson Young, and Xavier Savage was, was superb for the Raiders. Um, and, and unfortunately, Jack Whiten picked up an injury. I think it's a sternum injury, which is quite painful. And and Tom Starling to hooker, which moved Tom Starling to hooker and Josh Hodgson into the halves, which which actually improved the Raiders' attack without Jack Whiten there. Um, look, you, you need, we talk about it all the time, the defences are so well drilled now, you need to challenge the line, dummy half. You need to, you can't just ball play to one-out runners. The defences are too well drilled, especially well, some the of the better defences. The problem is Jack Whiten's playing a game. His kicking game's not great. And he's playing like another second rower. He's just running, and it's the same lines, and the defences are reading it. They're reading it. So when you add Starling in there, at least gives them that threat as well and opens up a little and bit Josh more And Josh Hodgson is a ball player. He's heaps better. Like, like he's, he's like an old school, almost a Benny Elias in the halves. He shows the ball. He gets them organised, gets them around the field. It really works. It's not too bad. I think it's been a good change for the Raiders. I thought um, the macho man Xavier Savage had a great game for the youngster. He he's game. elusive, he's skillful, and he's fast, and he's fearless. He tries stuff out there, and I thought, you know what? I thought the Raiders came out with a very different game plan. I don't know if it was just me, but I thought they came out intent on throwing the ball around, offloading, and really looking to... I don't know about throwing the ball around. Offloading, definitely. They came out with a game plan to offload. But offloading, they they weren't just, oh, oh they offload They were forcing now. the offloads. Yes, they were forcing and looking for the offloads. The, the try that Savage set up um, for Whiten at the back end of the second half was a perfect example where Papali went into the line deliberately looking to offload and Savage yeah, was Yeah, the, they were looking for second phase play. Whether that they identified that as a weakness in the Sharks or whether they thought we need to get... Because the attack was... Stunt, the attack's been stunted for Canberra for, for, for many, many, many weeks. It hasn't had fluidity. It's the same problem they've had all season. So maybe this was Ricky's way of kick-starting the attack. You might be right. They kind of went after the second phase play, and I thought, you know, Corey Harawiranaira was fantastic. They're using all of his skills, his stepping ability and his ability to beat defenders as well as offload. He's tall and sort of gangly. And they're using, um, like you say, Hudson Young in a bit of an Isaiah Yo role in, in a in a... I would say a poor version of Penrith, if that makes sense. Cronulla did all right to come back into the game. Ramian scored a really determined try, kind of really a one-out run, and he just was so determined he busted a few tackles and was aggressive. You know, they got it back to 12-all, but I, I thought Whiten actually played a little bit of a different game for the first half or so. Kind of like the old Jack Whiten, but I didn't think he was as selfish in his running, if that makes sense. I thought he was looking to pass the ball a little bit more than he usually does, and I thought that helped Canberra a fair bit. Tracy's try to put Mulatalo over to make it 18-16 to the Sharks in the second half was great timing and just a little bit of evasiveness, you know, using his ball skills to put the winger over. And then I thought they got a little bit unlucky, and this is what I mean, where Mulatalo got taken out, really, by Jordan Rapana with a hip check. 
And that's the other two points that they got gifted the Raiders. When they scored through Hudson Young, which I thought was... A, he sort of just ran through some pretty flimsy defense and people were sort of ball-watching, I guess, a little bit. And then from there, they tried to chase the game, the Sharks, and the last two tries were basically, you know, them trying to chase the game. So a very close game. I thought Canberra were by far the better side. But, you know, one or two bounces here or there and the, the Sharks win that game. So an interesting game, but the Raiders this time held on and, and, and put the Sharks away. But Sharks... They're kind of in. They're in games at the moment, but they're not falling away. They're not clinical enough and not taking advantage of their their skill. I think. I don't. I think. The, I think. I. I think the Sharks have been that this season has been gone for them since John Morris, since the whole John Morris saga. Yeah, you're probably right. But and I'm amazed Meza Testa hasn't been in the news for eight weeks. Yeah, I know. I kind of miss him. Uh, you know, we can't make fun of fun of him anymore. Yeah, I mean, a good win for the Raiders, but yeah, the Sharks they can't seem to just put some of these teams away so they might miss out on the eight now the way things are going well i think they probably will but macho man macho man a good find for the raiders so apparently he's run 100 meters under 10 seconds no way really apparently in track yeah that's what they said so wow that's he, he's got commentary. i like him oh because i've you've run you've run 100 meters in under 10 minutes haven't you of course yes definitely what was your fastest ever 100 meter i never timed it but i was pretty quick in the younger days actually surprisingly I ran a 10-4 or a 10-3. Really? At 17 at the school athletics carnival. Yeah, it was timed properly. It was at Henson Park. I won't say anything because our school um, athletics carnivals were sort of like, hey, cool, we got the day off and we sort of didn't turn up. Yeah, correct. Correct. But that that's <laughs> lightning. I was quick. I was quick. I used to be. Not anymore. For the younger listeners, the, the good thing is when you get older, even if you're running 100 metres in 40 seconds, it still feels like you're running fast. Well, with that note of optimism <laughs> for people in lockdown, let's move on to the last game of Super Saturday. Which, which is the storm? I've got exactly four bullet points on this on this game. Yeah, storm versus the knights. Storm won forty eight to four. Storm dominated from the start in an eight tries to one romp. Storm recorded their twenty fifth straight win in Queensland. Nico Hines and Jerome Hughes dominated. Hines had another barnstormer, one hundred ninety three meters, two tries, his four line breaks. Maybe you're right. Maybe Pappenheiser doesn't get back into the team. Look, mate, I don't think he gets back in because. Whilst I think Pappenheisen is absolute dynamite. They might give Pappenheisen the season off and just let Nico Hines go. They're playing too well. They're, they're in a oh groove my God, at the moment. They're unbelievable. The Storm scored at least 40 points for the 11th time in 17 games and were aided by Clemmer and Ponga failing HIAs in the first half after Mitch Pierce was ruled out just before kickoff. Justin Olam and George Jennings picked up doubles, and both edges for the Knights struggled. I mean, they just blew them off the park. There's no analysis of this game. They just blew them off the park. Well, I mean, losing Ponga early and then also Pierce being out didn't really give the Knights much in attack. Again, they hang in for a little bit. Everything you everything you want to know about the culture of this club can be summed up by the interviews with the coaches afterwards. Adam O'Brien spoke about how... Yep. It was a tough week. They had to relocate. They had to do all this sort of stuff. Yep. Melbourne flew to Melbourne and then had to fly back to the Queensland. You don't hear about it, do you? Their attitude was, we just we just got on with it. They landed at two, 11 p.m. They didn't get to their hotel till 2 a.m. And then they had to show up for the captain's run yep. the next day. Craig Bellamy made them show up on time for the captain's run after they got to the hotel at 2 a.m. And they didn't even mention it. They're just The cultures are just different. One is looking for excuses, and the other has no excuses, no matter what happens. Having said that, the Knights have had a really rough trot with injuries, and I wonder if there's something in their training regime they've got to be careful about, or if they're all just random luck. But they're not all soft tissue injuries. 
their shoulders, their ACLs, their, they're not hamstrings and calves. And It's good to probably at least have a have a look at that stuff, but God, they've Mitchell been Mitchell Pearce was a peck injury. I mean, you, that's not a, you know, like it's... But not, it could be a training, right? Overbalance on... I don't think it's training. I don't think... They monitor these loads within an inch of their lives, and you don't see as many soft tissue injuries anymore unless you're racing Harry down the Corso, but... I, I think they should look into that because they've had a an enormous amount of injuries and that's over two years can't all be bad luck right maybe their training's wrong for the bodies so if you train someone and make them too big or whatever it is you can actually what, what training do you need for your body shape so it doesn't matter i, just <laughs> I think you heaps. start off with low impact yes yes i i just need heaps you know with this game there's not much but just an old and like literally strolling through a massive cap after a few minutes was not a good sign Justin Olam was was parking his car in a car park <laughs> At eight o'clock in the morning, when the shops open at nine, he just—that's how big the gap was. Oh, he could have parked I, anywhere. And Jerome Hughes, I just thought was dynamic again. Um, just his ability to know when to run and when to pass is just. Phenomenal. Mate, he's in the top tier of halfbacks, and no one speaks about him. He's absolutely in the top tier of halfbacks. He's dynamic. You know, you look at George Jennings and Remus Smith, and they're—they look like world beaters in this t- team. No one wanted George Jennings, and Remus Smith was a cast-off, and they lost Vunivalu, and do you know what? They haven't skipped a beat. They've just no, continued no. on like nothing's happening. I look forward to Nick Meany showing that for the Storm next year. He'll play the Nico Hines role, the sort of backup, sort of halfback, you know, five or oh, fullback that they have always on the bench, and... I thought Nico Hines was brilliant. Just he he runs in the seams, he finds the gaps, and knows how to put his players away. And honestly, he's getting better every week. He just are the Sharks out of their minds? They can't play him at five eight. They should play him at fullback. With or without William Kennedy, this guy might be the best fullback in the comp at the moment, along with Tommy Turbo and Gutho. They're the form fullbacks in the comp. Plays a little bit like Gutherson without as he's just a, a looks smoother. He's more fluid. Like oh, Gutho's all action. You love how smooth he is. I do. You love how smooth Gutho's all action. I prefer an action man. You like the smoothness. Yeah, the smoothness. Um, but they're very similar in style. They're always involved. He gives a, He's just his passing is always at the right time. And um, could have been 60. And I think towards the back end, they, they dropped intensity a little bit. There's, not, there's no left, right edge, middle, nah. tackle counts. There's none of that analysis. They just blew them off the park. Yep. Too good. They're way too good. And honestly, I called it last week and I don't see them losing a game. I think they'll beat the set record of seven. 17 in a row for sure. I don't know. Let's see. I think the Panthers, Panthers and Storm rematch in the grand final is going to be great. And we've only got nine weeks in semifinals to go to get there. <laughs> With no injuries, I tip in the pan- the um, Storm. I don't think they're beatable. It ain't going to be the Bulldogs, let me tell you. So let's move on to Super Sunday. I just made that up. Uh, that's a trademark, Fox, if you're listening. Super Sunday kicked off with the early kickoff, which was the Warriors versus the Panthers. Brave, brave, brave performance. Again, another game without too much analysis because it was... The Warriors suffered so many injuries. God, I thought they were brave, the Warriors, in the first half after Kikau charged down a Chad Townsend kick to score inside two minutes. Another great start. He's had a he's had a oh, barnstorming start to his Warriors career, Chad Townsend. Leave the guy um, alone. I am sure the Cowboys are licking their lips going, gee, that's a good use of $2 million over, th- over three years or whatever it was. And and then over the first half, lost their entire bench with Wade Egan and RTS. Um, and Tohu Harris and Rocco Berry just before half time. So they had no bench. Despite the early try, the Warriors fought back to take a 10 4 lead. But once they got the injuries and Liam Martin and Coruscant came on, 
um, they got two two more tries down the Warriors' right edge to lead. The Panthers did at a 16-10 lead at halftime. Aiden Fanua Blake and Matt Lodge had enormous first halves for the Warriors, and it continued in the second half. The Warriors came out and played bravely in the second half, but their lack of troops really told in the last 20 minutes. The Panthers ended up winning easily, but it certainly wasn't their best performance. Lots of errors. But their defence was actually really good, particularly early in that second half when the Warriors laid siege on their line after a few errors from the Panthers. I thought Kikau was the best for the Panthers. Matt Hodge might be the best game I've seen Matt Hodge play. He was unbelievable on debut, as was Aiden Fenua Blake. Both the props played nearly 80 minutes and they were superb. Oh, I mean, what is there to say about this game? I thought there was an interesting... I was interested to see how RTS would go at fullback, but unfortunately... Or at 5'8", sorry. Unfortunately, he, he suffered a pretty bad concussion getting hit the hip of Matt Burden and like you say they just you know lost troops they were getting injured I thought they were gallant I thought the Warriors really tried hard oh they were superb they tried their asses off it galvanised them a little bit knowing that there wasn't a rest they had to give everything they got because they had no one on the bench to sort of come on and like Sal thought Matt Lodge played unbelievably well we were having a bit of a joke last week about it but yeah after we gave him a sledge he put in a career best performance I didn't think he had it in him I, I think I was wrong I didn't think he had a performance like that in him but he is a senior prop now, you know, on big money. So maybe they expect a little bit different from him at the Warriors than they do. Maybe he's got a leadership role. Who knows? Well, they probably expect him to try. I thought the Panthers seemed a little bit off, not quite with it. They defensively hung on, but in attack, they're a little I bit I thought they the thought place. they were going to win this game by just turning up. Probably. Like, they just didn't quite seem... They weren't not trying at all. It was just more the intensity wasn't quite there no that's right I mean look all the teams have gone through relocations and all this other kind of stuff so there's extenuating circumstances they were just a little bit off the Warriors being up 10-4 I thought that forward pass to Curran putting them up 16-4 I thought you know what that would have made a huge difference oh yeah to the game I actually thought that was a real kick in the pants to sort of go hey we can win this game but that got disallowed and then the Panthers threw the ball around it and Brian Toe scored off a great pass from Tyrone May. And instead of being 16-4, to it was 10-all. And then the Warriors just, you know, eventually ran out of energy, T. They, they just couldn't hang on in the end. I, I thought May was a little bit better. They used his long passing and his vision a little bit more in this game than they have in the past. Rather than getting him to play similar to Nathan Cleary, I thought. And I thought Staines is a, is a great finisher they have on the wing that, you know, gives them any, any opportunity and he kind of scores a try, which... Makes them quite clinical, and I think that helped them win the game, to be honest. Uh, and the only other thing I picked up is when Egan was going off. Now, I always thought when you do leg presses and things like that, you use both feet, right? But I could swear that his right, his left quad was twice the size of his right quad. Is that is that like your right forearm is twice the size of your left forearm? Well, that's because you only do hammer curls with... With one arm, right? So is that what you call it? Is that what is that your nickname at home? The hammer. Curl? The hammer. Yeah, the hammer. I don't know why I picked that up, but hey. And this is what you this this is what you bring to the pod. So let's move on to the the game of the year. Of course, fifteenth versus fourteenth. Another blockbuster on Channel Nine. The Broncos versus the Tigers. The Broncos had the better of the exchanges in the first half and took an eighteen ten lead into halftime after Payne Haas beautifully set up Flegler, and and. Payne Haas after Origin was superb, even by Kevy Walters' own admission. Uh, for the Tigers, both their tries for, came from Adam Duahi, who was superb in this game. He finished with 147 metres, five try assists, five tackle busts, two line breaks and one line break assist. Um, the second half, the first 20 minutes was entertaining as the team swapped tries. 
Uh, it was almost like neither team wanted to win it. They were both afraid to win it. But the Broncos' fitness faded and the Tigers scored five tries in the last 20 minutes and six in total in the second half to run out 42-24 to 24 winners. To show you the Broncos' woes in fitness levels, they lost the second half 32-6. to six. Yep. Uh, and for the Tigers, I thought Adam Dwayne, he was absolutely superb. And, and he is by far and away the Tigers' player of the year. Not close. Um, I, I actually thought the move of Moses and Bayer to Hooker when he came on also made. A I big thought difference. that made a difference too. I thought that made a difference too. Mate, that could be his position. It took him out of the line. He's lost his absolute extreme pace he used to yes, have. That's right. But he's still right. got a bit of a bullet pass, right? And he was able to get the ball out quicker to um, the Tigers' halves. But and he's quick enough to still threaten from dummy half if he gets going. He's not, yes. He's not Tommy Turbo speed, but he's no. quick enough around the ruck. Well, he's quick enough to make a break, right? Whereas in the centres right. of 5'8", whatever, whatever's happened, he's just lost his absolute speed. So I thought that made a big difference and Adam Dewey he took full advantage of and Luke Brooks played his role. I enjoyed this game. Can I say that? It went back and forth, right? It was quite an open game. I thought in the first half, the Warrior, the Broncos played some really good footy. Can I, can I also stick up for Peter Volandis? Once they get a preseason under their belts and these teams, some I think of these the game will drop change. a little bit of weight, yes. the game will actually be better for it. This is just the season we have to have to get to that point. What you're seeing is the level between the teams that are already there and where these some of these other teams have to correct, go. Correct, correct. And you can't correct. rectify so, that. I think some of the teams have trained incorrectly for the new rules. Is my also Well, they didn't. They, they, if you recall, the new rules were dropped on them. Yeah, I forgot about that. They had three weeks yeah, to get so, their players fit enough. Yeah, correct. So, <laughs> so you know, the, the, This will change recruiting moving forward too. Absolutely. This is where I worry about Phil Gould. Can I be honest? Here's some of the things I took away from this game. This feeds into your point, right? Is the Broncos played really good footy. They were on top. They're passing the ball around. Sarko was involved. Tessie New was involved. I thought they were fantastic. You know, when Haas sort of put Flegler over with a with a pass just before half time to go up eighteen to ten, I thought great, great. He played. God, he plays. He played out of his skin. Pain Haas. He's got a great motor. He's got a motor. Skill. He's got an offload. He's aggressive. I think the amount of minutes he plays, like in Origin, one of the tries was his fault. Yeah, a little bit too because much because he was slow coming off the line because he was fatigued. Yeah. It's a little bit too much. They're, they're asking him to do too much at the moment. I thought they were trading back and forth. I thought that try would have was going to shift the momentum towards the Broncos again. But uh, like you say, after the half, I thought Dane Laurie just started injecting himself in the game. And he started... He needed to because I bet th- uh, three of those tries were his fault know, as well. Because he, uh, he was in the wrong position. His first year in first grade, really. And it's a learning experience. He's someone who needs, he needs five kilos. And maybe Latrell can give it to him. Yeah, that's also possible. You know, he caught out the Broncos forwards that were tired and didn't have that stamina, and he, he created a lot of 100%, momentum 100%. for the Tigers. They need an off-season to change these players' body that's shapes, right. and then the game the game will go back to more like what it was in the 80s. And they traded some tries, and I thought some of those tries by Tommy Talao coming back on the inside, they were just Broncos forwards just tired. They couldn't keep up. He's got baby fat on him, Tommy Talao. He's someone that Madge has got to put some run into his legs. And also, you look at the Broncos, they also, like Jordan Rickey, fantastic athlete. They're athletic, they're tall, they run in straight lines, but the Broncos players are athletic, but they struggle laterally. So sometimes when the game speeds up, they get caught out. No, I agree that. with that. But that's where they need halves as well. Like the, the, In attack, they need some halves that can take advantage of that athleticism and put them in positions where they can athletically get over the top of other teams. Nevertheless, they hung in and I thought... Gee, Tyson Gamble's a bit of a grub, isn't he? He is. He's competitive. <laughs> um, gives everything he's got. But I thought the turning point was 
the little period where Asako's try got overturned for a, I think that was an obstruction. It took out Luke Brooks. He didn't read the play wrong. He just got smacked out. Grubber in the in goals and Tessie New somehow didn't ground the ball and it fell to Noel Faluma and it put the Tigers up by. And that was the game over at that point because they were trading tries at that point. Yeah. Ken Marlowe's try. Great take by Ken Marlowe. Madge Maguire said something about, I know that this team has this in us. Man, you were playing 15th. You can't play the Broncos every week. It was a good performance by the Tigers, but it's like... Well, if they didn't if they didn't show up, if they didn't show up for this game, I said it in the preview, if they didn't show up for this game, they may as well put the queue in the rack. They should change the, yeah. they should change the roster. They need to start again if they didn't show up for this one. I agree with you. Good game to watch. They traded back and tries back and forth. They threw the footy around. So there was a lot of breaks, a lot of... Um, broken pl- field play so it was a good game to watch but good win by the Tigers let's move on to the last game another entertaining game actually so I'm not going to I'm not going to do this justice because I'm interested in the Bulldogs fans reaction to this Souths versus the Bulldogs Souths got off 32-24 in the end the Bulldogs started diabolically you were terrible in the first 10 minutes and the Souths ran in two tries and dropped another two over the line um, but somehow you got yourselves back into the game and scored two tries of your own to take a 12-10 lead at half time. Then as the teams were walking off, Lachlan Lewis completely lost his mind, taking Cody Walker to the ground with the tackles that sparked a melee. It was straight out of UFC. And I've just got it here, what Cody Walker said to uh, Lachlan Lewis. He said to him, the sledge was, go back to effing reserve grade. And that sparked the UFC style melee. So it, it ended with Lachlan Lewis getting 10 in the bin. So the Bulldogs had to play without him and play with 12 in the first 10 minutes of the second half. The Bulldogs were fortunate to only concede one try during that period whilst they were down to 12. And it was AJ who, who actually injured his hamstring scoring the try. Instead of putting their foot on the throat of the Bulldogs, they made a strange decision south to kick for goal. So they only got eight points while, while he was off the field. And... As soon as they got back on the field, Lachlan Lewis set up Ockenball with a knock-on. It was, it was actually really clever thinking when he came back to make it to make it 18-all. The Bunnies then got a couple before Biondi Odo um, picked up Damien Cook's loose pass to make it 28-24 with 10 minutes to go. It was, it was an entertaining game. Despite South's dominating field position and territory, the Bulldogs really hung in there. And in the end, South's won 32-24 in what I thought was, was actually a really good game. For those that say this was not... What Lachlan Lewis normally does are not watching the Bulldogs close enough. <laughs> Mate, this is absolutely Lachlan Lewis. In character. <laughs> this is not out of character. No. He is feisty and in every melee on the field. Yeah, absolutely. This is perfectly in character. In fact, correct. I don't even know why it was a sin bin. I think it should have been like, hey, guys, settle down. All he did was drag him to the ground. No punches, no shoves. But it absolutely is in character. I laugh because I'm like, yep, that's it. It was funny. It was funny. It was funny. And you know what? In a way, Vicious Sledge by Cody Walker, he has got a bit of a mouth, Cody. He said, go back to reserve grade. Go back to effing reserve grade. He's competitive. Um, so He's you know mouthy. People forget People forget Cody Walker's mouthy. Cody Walker is mouthy. He's very competitive. He's mouthy. He, He's he mouthy, trash yeah. talks, right? Yeah, he um, does. So I have no problem with the takedown. It wasn't overly violent or anything. So, But perfectly in character for Lachlan Lewis. Uh, um, on this game, I thought... Yeah, South... They were spirited, the Bulldogs. They were spirited. You should be proud as a fan. They showed you a bit. You've been asking T- Trent Barrett to show you a bit. You showed a bit during this game. Defensively, I thought they were quite solid and they tried hard. I really... Sione Katoa still worries me a little bit. We look a lot better when we have another hooker there. But, you know, he came up with... Like one Cameron good... Smith? <laughs> yeah, we need Cameron Smith. We probably need Cameron Smith and Ben Elias. So I thought that South missed 
Latrell, it was a surprise to see Ockenball back this week, but hopefully he gets a solid run without injuries. A poor guy always. Mate, you played well against injuries. the Roosters, and now you've played yeah. well against Souths. You're into a rich vein of form now. The good thing is, there's a bit of uh, a change in momentum, a, momentum yeah. and attitude in defence, which is great. They're not giving up. They're they're trying really hard. Where I thought, you know, earlier in the season, they sort of really did give up at times. I thought Souths were lacked intensity. I thought they were going to have a training run. They came out on one of their Sunday specials where I think if Jaden Sua doesn't score that, you know, a gimme four-pointer, he jumped over and somehow fumbled it. We're down 16-0 instead of 10-0, and I think the game's different, and I think South runs away with it and, and belts them, to be honest. No, I don't think they would have belted you. Every time, every time South's landed a punch, the first 10, 15, 20 minutes, you were terrible. But after that, you showed spirit. But I think from 16-0 down, it's a bit harder. Dude... You say that, but against Manly, even before Manly scored the first try, it looked like Manly were going to put a cricket score on you. After the first 15 minutes, I didn't feel like that about the Bulldogs. Fair, enough, fair point, but I, I thought they hung in a fair bit. But I'm trying to give your team a compliment. I am. Here, Nick Meany had the fumbles in that case, unfortunately. You know, and then we had a bit of Beyondy Odo magic from Dummy Half, a bit of the Damien Cook on Damien Cook, and he put um, Shoop away to score, and and then some great hands by Hopawati put Corey Allen away for his first try of the season. So I love the Lewis and Walker stoush. I think it's great. Let him have a go. They didn't throw any punches. They're, like we said, Cody Walker's a bit mouthy, and, and Lachlan Lewis is a bit feisty, so it's a good mix. And, and then I thought, you know, using Corey Waddell at the back a few times was an interesting wrinkle by Trip Barrett. Um, but Ockenbohr scored a good try with a tap on from Lewis and 18 all. You're thinking, wow, anything can happen, you know. And, and then I thought the next try where where Walker sort of took control and put the kick through, it was just a little bit too easy for Jacob Host. There, there was no one around the footy. You know, a few players just turned around, whether they were tired or fatigued. It, it was too easy to put them ahead. And, and then we got lucky with a, a fantastic pass from Damian Cook. And then host That's basically pass yeah. the ball up straight up to Biontiodo yeah. and he scored. And then honestly with that, I thought South was struggling to... Yeah, I did too. I thought, geez, I... Canterbury could win this. Yes, I thought we might win because been turning the switch on and off South and I was kind of thinking, shit, we might snag a win here because I didn't feel like South were finding the switch in that game. But then the try at the end, they, they came back in numbers, but we didn't have enough. No- South just had more players in support and there was no one running back. It was stuck to Meany and Opawati. Mark Nichols scored the prop. In his 100th game. So it was a good try, good effort by Mark Nichols at that time of the game to chase chase the attack and, and pick up the loose ball. And Is it just me or does he look like the professor from the Matty Johnson? He show? absolutely does look like the professor. I'm like, I've seen this guy before. That actually explains it. It's probably <laughs> him. Um, so South did enough to win, but I really think they struggled to put the on switch on in this game. I think the Bulldogs hung in quite well despite errors and you know could have really got close to winning a game. Um, Avarillo kicked well. The team played relatively well. I, I was impressed. You take it, take it, buddy. That was that, that's the type of performance you want to see after some time. The great thing is, is I think Avarillo might be the next great halfback because, um, judging by his acne, I think he's been training with Nathan Cleary. <laughs> that he does, yeah. He's a bit younger than Nathan Cleary. Yeah, though. so you know, good signs. Nathan Cleary developed quite fast, so I'm, I'm looking for big things from Avarillo in the next couple of seasons. Okay, well done. So let's move on. That brings us to the close of the round 18 review. Let's move on to our round 19 preview. First up, it's the Eels versus the Raiders, a game I was meant to go to with one of the dads from my daughter's school. 
um, which I won't be going to now. The Eels are $1.28 favourites. The Raiders are $3.75 and the Raiders have 11.5 points start. Am I crazy to think this is going to be closer than people think? I don't think you're crazy because I think the Raiders, if they really have changed the way they play, if that makes sense. You look at this team on paper and you go, they're not they're not as bad as they've been playing the They're Raiders. not. They're not. Corey Harawiranara is, is stepping up a little bit more. And let's be and honest. Para don't do it for 80 minutes. Yep. And you've got Xavier Savage as well, who adds a dynamism to the Raiders that they've been missing for a lot of the season. Yeah, but we've got right? King Gutho, the best defensive fullback in the comp. But it gives the Raiders' attack a little bit more potency, right? Despite some of the, the issues they've had this year. And I think with the Tom Starling mix and match, the Raiders have been pretty good in two games in a row now. And I think if they commit to that attacking style of football, they could trouble the Eels a little bit. I'm tipping the Eels because I think their defense is superb. But I'm actually expecting the Raiders to trouble them a little bit and make them work for it. I think the Eels are going to have to play quite well to win this game. I've got the Eels by six. I would agree with that. I don't. I don't think. I don't think the Eels will cover the line. No, I've got six to ten. But I think the the Eels, if they're off, they will lose this game. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's right. So, and Ricky has he's always he always gets his teams up against the team that he bought the overhead projector out for. So. Next up is the Roosters versus the Knights. The Roosters are $1.35 favourites. The Knights are $3.25 outsiders, and the Knights have nine and a half points start. I presume Caelan Ponga will be back, and Mitch Pearce will be back. Despite that, I think the Roosters will win this, but I think this game will be close again. I think it's the Roosters by six points again, because uh, the Knights are a better team with both Mitch Pearce, Caelan Ponga, David Clemmer in there. If they're not in there, I think the Roosters will do it comfortably. Um, and the Roosters, ever since they've had all those injuries and the retirements and Jake Friend and Boyd Cordner and everything like that, and, and, and Luke Keery out for the season, they just haven't... There's been a lot on Joey Joey Manu and Sam Walker's shoulders. There has been. I think they're, they're kind of at their limit, the Roosters. They've got the best team they've got out there. They've got Billy Slater's younger brother, um, Victor Radley, back. I think they'll be too good for the Knights because the Knights... Who's Billy Slater's younger brother? Victor Radley. He looks exactly like him. The Knights have, without Ponga and Pierce, they have to be there to be able to trouble the Roosters' defense and at least put some points up. I think the Roosters will win because Manu has really stepped up and now you've got oh, Tedesco. He's brilliant. You know how much I love him. You do. He's been fantastic. And now we've got Jimmy Tedesco there too. He'll be back. So I'm expecting the Roosters to win. But if Pierce and Actually, Ponga my two play, favorite players in the comp might be Joey Manu. And Clint Gutherson might be my two favourite players in the comp. I think they're all action. They're all involved. They're a little bit of everything. Power, you know, speed, a little bit of tenacity. You know, that's that's probably forced Manu's hands to step up a little bit for the Roosters, and I think they'll be better for it with Tedesco back. So with Ponga and Pierce, I think they'll challenge them. I don't think they'll be have enough to beat them. Um, if they're missing, I expect the Roosters to win easily. If they play, I think it'll be a close game, but the Roosters will win. Mitch Pierce playing against his old club too. He is, so he should be fired up. Hopefully Rover he won't bring Rover along to the game. He won't be. He'd have to pick up after him. Let's move on to the next game, which is the Cowboys versus the Storm. Um I think this is the Channel Nine game actually. So um Cowboys are nine dollars outside of Storm are a dollar seven. Cowboys have twenty three and a half points start. Um, I think the Storm will do this comfortably. They don't lose in Queensland. I just said that I think the Storm will break 17 wins in a row, and I think they're playing too well. They're too well-oiled, and at times they're switching off, but it's after they've applied the mercy rule. Yeah, after it's like 60. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not like they're switching on and off through the game. They're kind of like, okay, we're ahead by 40 now. Let's just bring the intensity down. You know, they're, they're playing at a level from the beginning that other teams just cannot match, and the Cowboys have too many defensive holes. For the storm. I agree. 
So we're all in agreement there. If we move on to Super Saturday, we've got Souths versus the Warriors first up. The Souths are $1.18 favourites. The Warriors are $5 outsiders. The Warriors have 15.5 points to start. Souths were inconsistent against the Bulldogs, and I just don't think the Warriors have enough points in them. So I think I think it'll be it'll be Souths. I'm with Souths. I think Souths will be a little bit better. I think they've coasted in quite a few games numerous times throughout the year. The game against the Bulldogs would have woken them up a little bit. I think they'll come out with a greater intensity in this game, and I don't think the Warriors have said a million times used their their talent to their advantage. They were they were brave on the weekend. They were brave, though. but they just don't throw the football around enough to beat the better teams, mate, and challenge them. So they'll be brave again. They have been pretty solid all throughout the year. They just don't have enough in attack to win some of the games they should. Well, Chad Townsend's their halfback. Oh, would you stop it? Leave him alone. They um, Rabbitohs by 16, I'd say. So um, next up, it's Manly middle game of Super Saturday. Manly versus the Tigers. Tommy Turbo back, Jake back, and DCE back for Manly. The Tigers coming off a good win against the Broncos. The Manly Seagulls are $1.15 favourites. The Tigers are $5.50 outsiders. And the Tigers have 16.5 points start. I think Manly will do this comfortably. They just got too many points in them with Tommy Turbo there. I think that's what it is, and then we're going to find out if the Tigers. This is what they're capable of from Madge McQuire's really. Can't just play they the played the Broncos or yeah. Can't play the Broncos everywhere. Oh, they played the Broncos, or it's going to work against the Sea Eagles. I think they've got too many holes on the fringes of the defence. The Tigers to to honestly stop Jason Saab and now Schuster back. And having the game that he had and with DCE, they've got ball players everywhere. And also now Walker comes on as a change of pace guy off the bench to add another little ball player. I know he's got flaws, but the Seagulls just have too much skill for the Tigers and, like you say, too many points. At full strength, I'd say this could be 20-plus. Seagulls by 20-plus. Yeah, I think the Seagulls will put points on them. All right, last game on Super Saturday is the Panthers versus the Broncos. The Panthers are obviously favourites, but they're good value. They're a dollar eighteen. I actually think, you know, they're better odds than Manly. So uh, the Broncos are five dollars outsiders, and the Broncos have sixteen and a half points start. The Panthers' attack hasn't looked so great, so fluid in the last few weeks. Despite that, I think the Panthers will do this comfortably, and and by more than three tries. No, if they're going to win by more than three tries, I think the Broncos showed something in attack, and they can be dangerous, but they don't quite have the energy levels to keep it up much. Yeah, but the Panthers will put if they don't have energy levels in the last twenty minutes, the Panthers will put twenty four points on them. I might agree with you. I don't think the Panthers' attack is as fluid to I agree to beat that. them by twenty or thirty. So I, I think they'll win. It might be, you know, it'll be, they'll score points, but it might be like 30 to 18 or something like that. Well, I'm seeing like 30 to 10 or something like that. Defensively, they're still quite solid. But I will add this, is that you've had changes to their their line for a couple of weeks, and they haven't quite adjusted to playing with each other yet. Naden's now in the centres. May's got another week. Burden's got another week at 5'8". If Luai and Cleary aren't back, which I don't think they are... Mate, I just think they're rotating players through. They're at that point of the season. They're easily going to be in the top two. It's a bit of a dead point in the season for them, for the teams like Melbourne and the... Yeah. I'm expecting a little bit more fluidity as they started to play with each other a little bit more. So that's the X factor for the Panthers. They'll win. I'm tipping by 12 to 14. I don't think they'll flog them, Broncos. We'll move on to the games on Sunday. First up, we've got Saints versus the Titans. Saints are $2.45 outsiders. The Titans are $1.55 and... The Saints have four and a half point start. I'm going to tip the Titans because I've lost my faith in the Saints this year. And the Titans were good despite the scoreline against the Eels. I thought they weren't as bad as the scoreline. I thought defensively the Titans were better this week, which is which is a good thing. I will wait to see what their team looks like because they could have quite significant injuries. Yeah, if they, um, don't have, if, they might not have. Dave Fafita might be the new halfback. 
That's right. If they're all out, I'm tipping. I'm going to tip the Dragons. But if they're at full strength, I'm going to tip the Titans in this game because I think the Dragons have lost it a little bit. I mean, the Dragons should have beaten Manly. They should have. Titans for me. On but paper, with everyone yeah. out, I might tip the Dragons, but it would depend. I really need to think about this. But I've seen how you're doing in our tipping comp. I believe you're third last. That is possible. It's not possible. I think it's accurate. That is inconsequential. Can we move on to the next game? Okay, brilliant. <laughs> okay, the, the, the game of the round, the Channel 9 game, is the Bulldogs versus the Sharks. Bulldogs are $4 outsiders. The Sharks are $1.25. The Bulldogs have 12.5 points start. Can I give you my controversial opinion? You guys beat the Sharks earlier this year. I think the Bulldogs are going to get another win. I actually, You know what? This is the first time all year that I actually think if they do attack a little bit more than usual, I think they can beat the Sharks. The Sharks... Can I get this out of you? Are you tipping the Bulldogs? I'm very close to tipping them this week. Are yes. you tipping the Bulldogs as a supporter? I have to think about it. Are you tipping the Bulldogs? I've been disappointed in the Sharks this year. I oh my was... God, you're a supporter. If you're not going to tip them in this game, when are you going to tip them? I just don't have faith that they've got enough points. They seem to score points when the game seems to be out of reach and then they get claw back in. So I don't know if they'll play like that from the outset. But the Sharks, they've been through a lot this year. I just think they're missing. Something's missing with them. They play well, but they just don't seem to be able to win and play absolutely to their talent for an 80 minutes. So if the Bulldogs hang around, I think the Sharks could be in a bit of trouble. So I look, think you're I leaning tip towards the, tipping the Sharks. Yeah, I'm still on the Sharks. You're going to tip the Sharks. You're gonna, I know there. you. You're going to tip the Sharks. I'm still I've got there. more faith in your dogs than you do. Are what you tipping a, them? Are you what, tipping the Bulldogs? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tip. I'm tipping the Bulldogs. If there's one thing that any listeners do know is tip because of my tipping record, tip the opposite. So if I'm tipping the Sharks, tip the Bulldogs. I might be tipping the Bulldogs this week, but I'm I'm very close. Yes. <laughs> It's about as confident as you're going to get. That's about as it's the most confident, confident I've been all year that I have to actually you're think not, about it. You know it. what? I, I, think, I think you should tell people the truth that you're now a Manly fan. No, I'm one of the new age fans. I told you that follows players around. So if Tommy Turbo No, you've got to... you've got like the old mechanics diaries and Tommy Turbo is every month from January to December. <laughs> it's, it's... Oh God, you are a disgrace to the Bulldogs and to Tommy Turbo. And that, with two minutes to go before G's meeting... Brings us to the end of another GNT show. Thank you once again for joining us in the wonderful world of rugby league and the NRL. And thank you, G. Thanks, T. See you next week, man. Bye. See ya.